Today on Inside Politics, another day, another courtroom. Donald Trump and his lawyers are behind closed doors right now, meeting with the judge in his classified documents case. This as the GOP frontrunner faces criticism on both sides of the Atlantic for threatening to throw NATO allies to the wolves. Plus, a Kennedy family feud. RFK Jr. is apologizing to his estranged relatives for a Super Bowl spot that copies a famous 1960 campaign ad from his uncle, John F. Kennedy apologizing, even though it's still pinned to the top of his social media feed. And George Santos 2.0, that's how the Democrat trying to replace the disgraced former congressman is describing his Republican opponent now in a special election critical to the House GOP's already narrow majority. I spoke to both candidates on the ballot in New York's 3rd District. Those interviews are coming up. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start in Florida, where Donald Trump is at a closed-door hearing for his classified documents case. The issue, whether Trump's team can get access to highly classified evidence as the clock ticks down to a potential trial date. CNN's Evan Perez is there. Evan, give our viewers a sense of what the significance is of this particular day in court for Donald Trump. Well, Dana, this is all about the classified documents and the classified documents that are relevant to Donald Trump's trial. Right now that trial is, is set for, for May, but it is unclear whether that date holds. Right now what the, uh, the Trump, uh, Mr. the former president and his, and his lawyers are doing is meeting with the judge, uh, discussing some of the documents that are at issue. In some cases, the special counsel, Jack Smith, is arguing that they should not be allowed to see the documents themselves. They should be able to see only summaries of some of those documents. Uh, also uh, looking for some of the access to some of those documents uh, is uh, the defendant, uh, Walt Nada, and Carlos Delaware, the co-defendants of the former president. Again, this is a, uh, a hearing that has been going on for about three hours. We expect that the former president is going to be in there for another hour or so uh, before the special counsel, the government, get their turn to meet with the judge and make their arguments for continuing to restrict uh, the access of some of these documents. Again, we're talking about some of the most classified, highly, highly uh, sensitive documents. In some cases, they're only able to look at them in a, a special room that's designed for classified documents here in the courthouse behind me, Dana. So, Evan, while that's happening there, there is another very important uh, move in a critical case here in Washington, and that is the deadline for Trump's legal team to file an appeal at the Supreme Court in his immunity case. Right, exactly. And what the former president has to do is simply tell the Supreme Court that he is appealing that ruling from uh, the federal appeals court in, in, in uh, Washington and that will buy him additional time. Now, what he's trying to do is prevent this case from going back to uh, the judge who's overseeing it. This is the January 6th case. Uh, that judge uh, is prepared to proceed to trial. Right now, uh, we don't know whether the, you know, wh when she will reschedule it. It was supposed to start in early March, but you know, if the former president files, as we expect he will in the next few hours, that'll buy him additional time because then the Supreme Court uh, will signal that they'll hear his, uh, his appeal and that could then buy him additional time, Dano. Evan, thank you so much for that reporting. Appreciate it. The other big Trump story 
is blowback over comments he made over the weekend about America's NATO allies. He told this story about a warning he says he gave to an American ally in Europe about NATO nations who don't spend enough on defense. One of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent. He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. My panel joins me now, CNN's David Chalian, Sungmin Kim of the Associated Press, and CNN's Jim Shudo, who's the author of the upcoming book, The Return of Great Powers, Russia, China, and the Next World War. I do not know. Do you just not sleep? Uh, <laughs> I'm a forgiving wife. Okay. Um, so... I want to talk about the domestic politics, of course, but let's start with you and the geopolitics. And I want to read something that uh, Peter Baker set, wrote in the New York Times. The scorn for NATO that Mr. Trump expresses is based on a false premise that he has repeated for years, even after being corrected, a sign that he is either incapable of processing information that conflicts with, uh, conflicts with an idea fixed in his head or willing to distort facts to suit his preferred mm -hmm dispute, rather, his uh, preferred narrative. What are you hearing from sources globally about the impact of this? They take this very seriously, as do his own former senior advisors. The idea that this is just sort of the national security equivalent of locker room talk is mm -hmm. not based in reality, because he has a record as president, and while he was president, he undermined NATO. In, in 2018, at the NATO summit, he very nearly took the U.S. out of NATO. He reduced the U.S. force presence in Germany, kind of as, as a broadside to NATO, as one of his last acts as commander-in-chief, and made other public pronouncements which do undermine confidence of allies and adversaries in U.S. mutual defense agreements, and not just as relate to NATO, but even uh, to, to South Korea and Japan and Taiwan. So the idea that offense you've heard from someone like a Senator Marco Rubio that this is just talk belies his actual actions as president. And when you speak to his advisors about what's to come in a potential second Trump term, is they believe he would take even more concrete ac action up to and including formally withdrawing from NATO. Wow. I mean, that's a very big statement. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Marco Rubio. So mm -hmm. let's listen to some of what uh, the senator, who we should remind our viewers, was a very critical opponent of Donald Trump. He also ran for president back in 2016, has since uh, been on the Trump bandwagon, has endorsed Trump this time around. Listen to what he told Jake. Donald Trump was president and he didn't pull aside in NATO. You know, in fact, American troops were stationed throughout Europe. He's not the first American president. In fact, virtually every American president at some point in some way has complained about other countries in NATO not doing enough. Um, you know, Trump's just the first one to express it in these terms. The other thing I should add to his resume for our viewers to understand is that he's a senior member of the Intelligence Committee as well, not to mention a, a big voice on foreign policy. So that's critical context for him just writing off what Trump said. Yeah, I mean, I, to Jim's point, it makes perfect sense to me that our allies around the world would hear his retelling of the story that he told this weekend and be concerned that it is a window into his thinking of what he wants to do mm -hmm. in a second term. Uh, the, and yet it can also be perhaps not locker room talk, uh, but it is classic Donald Trump. In fact, I don't know what new we learned uh, in Trump's comments this weekend. Um, his threat to 
pull out of NATO. He's uh, constantly admonishing uh, some of our closest allies that they're not doing enough uh, to lift up their end of the bargain. Uh, as you noted through his presidency, this was a hallmark of his. And uh, he, it is not the first time he does this on the campaign trail. So I, I look at this to sort of say Donald Trump offers a classic kind of like uh, bit of his thinking that is designed to express, to get outrage expressed yeah. by his opponents, by people in the press, that then he feeds off of that outrage to court support from his uh, base of support. Yeah, it's the first time, though, he said, Russia, go ahead and attack an ally. Although that, he, that is yes, different. But he was saying it about the past. I'm not excusing I what know. he's saying. I'm just saying, let's just be clear. Mm -hmm. the, 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 I, I get that there's a mm -hmm. new word in there, but this, this should not surprise anyone of how Donald Trump perceives um, the, this NATO alliance. I think it's been clear for quite some time. Yeah, no, that that is very true. And I think this sort of all goes under the umbrella. First, uh, Kristen Holmes, who covers him uh, every single day, uh, mentioned this morning that this is the classic Trump strongman argument, and it really very much appeals to, to his base. But also the way that we uh, need to be approaching Donald Trump now and in the future, which is we can be shocked but not surprised because we have heard versions of this before, which leads to the next point that he made that right. caused some ripples over the weekend, which he was uh, making fun of Nikki Haley, who is still in the race, of the fact that her husband is uh, not around. Her husband isn't around because he's deployed. Mm -hmm. He is in the Horn of Africa right now uh, serving America. She was on uh, this morning, she was on Fox. Listen to what she said about that and then the broader discussion about NATO. You look at Trump, he goes off script from a teleprompter for two minutes and he criticizes the military, mocks my husband, but he also goes and takes the side of Putin in NATO and says that he would actually encourage Putin to invade our allies. Anybody that excuses what he continues to say against the military is hugely mistaken because this is going to be the president of the United States. Well, just the, the comments about Major Haley that Donald Trump made is just another in the category that you've mentioned of shocked but not surprised. We know that when Donald Trump has seen you know, members of the military who served our country proudly, when he's seen them as a political opponent, he has disparaged them in very rude ways. I just, I, I will never forget what he said about John McCain. I don't think any of us will. Um, and I think that's, it, it is just a constant fixture of him that, again, doesn't surprise us anymore, but that isn't any less shocking at this point. And also her point on NATO, I'm just kind of, and going back to our discussion with what Senator Rubio said, it's just this, um, there was a time when there was a, it was always kind of small, but there was a vocal um, segment of Republican, particularly elected officials, who had been able to speak out forcefully against Trump, whether it's on his actions, on his words, but that, particularly on Capitol Hill, particularly in elected office, is diminishing. And I think that is why, that is one of the reasons why Donald Trump has been able to stay so strong ahead of the party. He's just kind of beaten everyone one town. Well, let, let me just uh, switch and sort of use that uh, comment that you made to talk for a moment about Mike Gallagher, mm. Republican congressman uh, from Wisconsin, young, sort of considered a bright light, very, very focused on China. In fact, he's the chair of the a special committee on China. He said this weekend he's he's gone. He's retiring. He said electoral politics was never supposed to be a career. Uh, and trust me, Congress is no place to grow old. And he goes on from there. Uh, he voted against his party this past week uh, against impeaching 
Mayorkas, the Homeland Security Secretary. And so he, it's, not that, it's not as if he hasn't been supportive of Donald Trump. He's right. not like a never-Trumper. But it is another example of somebody who used to be the future of the Republican Party saying, I'm out of here. I don't have a place in this party. And also, it's a dying breed that's willing to go out and say in public uh, a criticism that they know they might pay a political price for. And by the way, I, I will speak to Republicans on Capitol Hill who know these national security issues and will say in private, Trump is wrong on this, but will not say that in public. And, and the handful that would say it in public are few and far between and becoming fewer and farther between. And you know, when we just heard Nikki Haley say that nobody should excuse his disparaging remarks uh, on the military. Just want to remind folks, she has sworn to support Donald Trump. She is <clears> going <throat> to be a Trump supporter when he's the nominee of the party. She raised her hand and said she would do so even if he's a convicted criminal. So while she's arguing to Republican voters, you can understand why it might be hard for her, for folks that are not already with her, to make a convincing case that her criticism is legitimate when they know she's going to be with him in November. Important point always to keep uh, reminding our viewers. Up next, the Super PAC supporting independent candidate Robert Kennedy Jr. spent $7 million on a Super Bowl ad cut to look just like his uncle's famous spot. The Kennedy clan is not happy. We'll explain next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Last night's Super Bowl had a little bit something for everyone. There was, of course, the football with the Kansas City Chiefs winning a nail-biter in overtime, their second straight Super Bowl and third in five years. There was, of course, the Taylor Swift of it all, celebrating her boyfriend Travis Kelsey's second straight championship. And it was a big night for music fans. Usher's blockbuster halftime performance and Beyonce announcing her brand new album. And of course, there were politics too. My great panel is here to discuss all of this, but mostly the politics of it. Uh, let's talk about the ad that I don't think any of us saw coming. An ad by a super PAC supporting RFK Jr., who is a independent candidate running for president. Watch this. Kennedy, 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 Kennedy. 
Do you want a man for president who's seasoned through and through? A man who's old enough to know and young enough to do? Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. Now, for our more mature viewers, that might look a little bit familiar. And the reason is because it's almost identical to the famous spot by his uncle, John F. Kennedy, in 1960. Watch. Almost identical. The uh, Kennedy clan, many of his cousins did not like that. And after that, RFK Jr. apologized. He said, I'm so sorry if the Super Bowl advertisement caused anyone in my family pain. The ad was created and aired by American Values Super PAC without any involvement or approval from my campaign. FEC rules prohibit Super PACs from consulting with me or my staff. I love you all. God bless. I should say that the America's Values PAC is um, supported by a longtime Trump donor whose name is Tim Mellon. I should also note, as you said this morning, that he's apologizing, but if you look at his social media feed, RFK Jr. has this super PAC ad pinned to the top of it. <laughs> yeah, clearly he hopes people will see it. Yes. Um, it is also amazing when you think about the uh, uphill climb for third party candidates in this country, uh, that there is a supportive super PAC willing to spend $7 million on a Super Bowl ad for uh, Kennedy's bid here. I, that, to me, is in itself astonishing. Never mind uh, the shot for shot trying to sort of make himself into his uncle. We should note, you said his cousins, many people in his family came out opposed to this. They are also totally opposed to his candidacy right, uh, from the get-go. Right. I mean, that's an important point. They're very much pro-Biden, and they do not like that he is running, uh, primarily because of the fact that if you look at the polls and you see kind of how this could go down, he could take significant votes away from Joe Biden, which is why I wanted to mention the big donor for this super PAC is pro-Trump. So it's not as if, I'm not saying that uh, Tim Mellon doesn't love RFK Jr., <laughs> but it also should be noted that he also liked Donald Trump and there may be a, a game of chess going on here. Right, I have three-dimensional chess, certainly, because if you're, a, if you're a voter just turning into the Super Bowl, you haven't followed politics for the last several months, which we none of us here at the table blame you at all, you would think you would just feel that nostalgia watching that campaign ad, think Kennedy, Democrat, and just give RFK potentially a second look or a third look. But if you look, if you just think of the fact that certainly that could siphon away votes from Biden in key states, should RFK make the ballot, and we should point out he's only on the ballot in the state of Utah so far, uh, that could certainly hurt uh, President yep. Biden's reelection chances. I mean, I think with President Trump or former President Donald Trump, he has a certain sort of ceiling he can go with voters. So a lot of their tactic is to take away voters yep. that would otherwise support Biden. And it's hard to see that ad not being a part of that tactic. I want to turn, since we have our China expert here, to uh, Joe Biden and TikTok. He joined uh, TikTok. Let's listen to and watch part of uh, what he said in his first TikTok post. Game or commercials? Game. Game or halftime show? Game. Jason Kelsey or Travis Kelsey? Mama Kelsey. Plotting to rig the season so the Chiefs would make the Super Bowl or the Chiefs just being a good football team? I'd get in trouble if I told you. 
Okay, first of all, that is funny that he's, <laughs> he's uh, kind of leaning into the whole conspiracy that it's the deep state that is pushing for uh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend to win the, <laughs> the Super Bowl. But what about the notion of him being on TikTok, it's, which, of course, his government says is mm -hmm. a national security risk because of China? For, for years, folks I know in the intelligence world have told me just personally, don't go on TikTok. It, it, is, it is a massive Chinese data gathering operation, right? And don't have your children go on TikTok. I've heard that for years. Uh, and, and you've heard the public pronouncements of the connections and how exactly this could work. So, so it's, it's not insignificant that the president basically making a political calculation here that this is a great way to get get in touch with young voters, he's on TikTok. Now, now, of course, I'm sure he has all the security measures necessary so that they're not stealing data from him by the fact that he has a, a, you know, a campaign account yeah. on there. But in terms of messaging to the American people yeah. saying this is a threat, but by the way, you might see a few campaign ads from me on there, <laughs> well, is notable. And, I, and I'm glad you said that because I want to underscore this is Joe Biden's campaign. Yeah. The federal government isn't allowed to have TikTok. Yeah, he, he's not posting from his, his True. personal phone, yeah. right? But yeah. in terms of public messaging, it's, it's a notable yeah. uh, cognitive dissonance, we'll call it. Right. Yeah. All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. Great discussion. Appreciate it. Up next, voters on Long Island head to the polls tomorrow for the first big election of 2024. Who will replace George Santos in the House? I went to Long Island to cover the race. My interviews with both candidates next. The political world is in a New York state of mind. Just hours from now, polls open in a New York special election that could have major implications for the rest of the country. Former Democratic Congressman Tom Suozzi and Republican Mozzie Pillup are duking it out in a very expensive race to fill George Santos's old seat. How expensive? More than $21 million spent on campaign ads alone. I went to Long Island to spend time with both candidates. Here's part of my conversation with Democrat Tom Suozzi, who held the seat for two terms, but left for an unsuccessful bid for New York governor. Why do you want to go back to Congress? You know, our country's in a lot of trouble, and I feel like I have got a unique set of skills that can help during this difficult time. I think the biggest problem we're facing in the country, in addition to all the issues like immigration, and for me, the state and local tax deduction, and a whole bunch of other stuff, uh, is the country so divided. And I focused a lot of my career, not just in Congress, but before that, mm -hmm. on working across party lines to get things done. And I built a lot of relationships, certainly with the Democrats, but also with a lot of Republicans. I don't know if you've noticed, but since you've left... <laughs> it's, it's not my e fault. <laughs> even, no, but even working across party lines... Stuff. ...doesn't get you tough. anywhere. It's tough. Look what happened with the immigration bill. It's, that is, to me, that is the most heartbreaking thing. In my race, specifically, my opponent says that she's concerned about the border. We're all concerned about the border. But she's not solving the border problem because she won't support the bipartisan border deal. And as a result, the border is going to stay open and more migrants are going to be coming to New York. She says she's committed to Israel, but she's endangering Israel because she's not supporting the bipartisan funding of Israel. So, and, and with Putin, you know, we're empowering Putin. So these are real life issues that affect real people, life and death issues. and. The same old extremism and partisan politics is not going to get us anywhere. It's not working. Joe Biden won what is now this district by eight percentage points. Why is this close? Well, right now, the Democrats are underwater here in this area for a long time. Three, Your party? Yeah, underwater. Three, three years we've been losing everything on Long Island and Northeast Queens. Now, the president's underwater. 
uh, Trump is underwater. People are just upset that they're not seeing anything get done to address the things that affect their lives. They're concerned about affordability, they're concerned about immigration, uh, and they feel like Washington is not really listening to them. How much does George Santos and what happened there hang over this special election? I think people are fed up with the whole George Santos thing. It's over, it's yesterday's news, but for the fact that my opponent has not been transparent at all. She hasn't done debates, except she did one debate just today for the first time, five days before the election. Uh, she hasn't done any town hall meetings. She hasn't taken any votes from, uh, any questions from any voters. Uh, she hasn't done any civic hall meetings. She's rejected four televised debates and about five civic uh, community group meetings. So- uh, Are you saying she's not transparent a la George Santos? Exactly the same. It's, it's Santos 2.0. She's. I would have not said this, but That's for her... That's a pretty her, big charge. It's, you, I mean, he's a... If you're following the race a, at all... He's, he's, he's been indicted. Yeah, but we don't know anything about her. We don't know any... Look at the Daily News editorial that wrote about her that said that the, the, the Nassau County Republican Party are doing the exact same thing they did with Santos by putting up a candidate and an idea as opposed to any specifics. She's got no specific positions on issues. Uh, she's not uh, meeting with the public. She's not taking questions from the public. It's the same thing. Republican candidate Mozzie Pillip did take some questions from me when I met up with her at Nassau County GOP headquarters. I should say that the county executive there told me he rejects the notion that Pillip is Santos 2.0. He even called Swazi a liar for saying that. As for Pillip, she does break the mold for Long Island Republicans in many ways. She's originally from Africa. You were born in Ethiopia, moved to Israel when you were 12, and then came here. Yes. Yeah. That's the beautiful things about my journey. Even though I was born in Ethiopia, a small village, at the age of 12, I immigrated to Israel. I finished school there. I joined the IDF. Right after, I earned my degrees and bachelor degree in Tel Aviv, Haifa University, master degree in Tel Aviv University. Uh, then I came to this country about 17 years ago. Um, my husband also immigrated from Ukraine to this country. Um, we all work very hard. Our start point was very difficult, you know, as an immigrant. Uh, however, this beautiful country gave me the chance to grow, and the Republican Party uh, also gave me the opportunity to grow uh, and learn about leadership. You're an observant Jew. Yes. How, how does that frame the way you approach your politics? I don't, you know, I work every day. I mean, from Sunday to Friday, uh, Friday before Shabbat starts, I take off, I close my phone, and then Saturday I don't touch anything. I spend time with my family. I will go to synagogue, you know, to just to meet people. But typically this is a day I spend time with my family, my children, more relaxed. It's been remarkable to talk to voters here. Immigration is by far the top issue that they talk about. What we saw in Washington with the bipartisan immigration bill, why wasn't that the kind of solution that you think would at least be a first step, maybe not all of it, but a first step? As you know, the bill didn't even come to the floor. It wasn't, it wasn't answering the issue of the border crisis. And you're right, the, the people of the Turk National District resident very much worry about the migrant, illegal migrants coming to our country. So how, and not because we don't want the solution them. then? The solution is we need to come up with a plan in place how we're going to bring people legally to our country. The way I came to this country, the way my husband came to this country, you see that's a beautiful country. We came legally. And look at us. My husband is a cardiology. 
I, you know, I build myself, you know, I'm running for Congress. This is the country that can give you that opportunity, but you have to come the right way. Right now, the way things are going, that's not right. CNN will have live special coverage as the New York results come in tomorrow night. I'll be here along with Jake Tapper and the rest of our amazing political reporters. Coming up, President Biden is poking some fun at himself this morning about his age and his memory. Stay with us. We'll tell you what he said. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Moments ago, President Biden used an age-old political weapon, humor, about his memory after that scathing special counsel report that labeled him a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Here's what he said to a group of local government officials who came here from across the country. And I've been around, I know I don't look like it, but I've been around a while. (laughs) I do remember that. CNN's Arlette Science is at the White House. Pretty sustained applause there uh, from the audience. Arlette, this is just one of several moves that the Biden campaign has been making in the last few days to try to beat back on what was in that report. Yeah, Dana, and the president has often turned to humor as he discusses his age, which has been front and center in this presidential campaign. Now, the president's allies over the weekend spent time uh, attacking the special counsel, calling that his inclusion of questions about the president's age and memory gratuitous and inappropriate. And First Lady Jill Biden was also personally frustrated by this report. A source uh, close to the First Lady telling me that she felt that the attack on Bo was beyond the or relating to Bo was beyond the pale and that the age attacks were flat inaccurate. That is part of what prompted First Lady Jill Biden to write this response that was sent out to supporters over the weekend, where she called the special counsel's uh, report, quote, inaccurate and personal political attacks against Joe. She also went on to defend her husband's age, saying Joe is 81. That's true, but he's 81 doing more in an hour than most people do in a day. Joe has wisdom, empathy, and vision. He has delivered on so many of his promises as president precisely because he learned a lot in those 81 years. Now, I'm told that this email that was sent to supporters was actually the second best performing email that they sent to grassroots donors huh. since the launch of the president's campaign. And what's especially noteworthy here is that the first lady made no explicit ask for people to donate money. There was a, bo- a button at the very bottom where people could turn uh, to the campaign website to give money, but it highlights how they're trying to use this to try to galvanize grassroots supporters at least. Of course, the Biden campaign has a long road ahead of them. They will have much to do to convince voters in the coming months that the president is up for a second term at a time when many have expressed skepticism that that's actually the case. That's really interesting, Arlette. Thank you so much for that reporting. And joining me now is Democratic Congresswoman Veronica Escobar of Texas. She's the deputy whip of the Congressional Progressive Caucus and also national co-chair of President Biden's reelection campaign. So good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. Let's pick off where Arlette left off, uh, talking about 
the president's age and the political effort over the past few days to push back on it. I want you to look at a poll that came out over the weekend from ABC News asking about how people feel about the age of both of these candidates. By these candidates, of course, I mean Biden and Trump. Um, 59% say that they're both too old. So that's six and 10. That's pretty high. But for only Biden, 27%. How concerning is that to you? And more importantly, as somebody who is advising his campaign, what more do you want to see from him? I'll tell you, Dana, I loved that humorous bit. And I think every time the president leans into what is a perceived vulnerability, he does so well. And that's the, the Joe Biden that people love seeing. And they enjoy the self-deprecating humor and, and him sort of bringing to light what, uh, what you know, people alleged to be concerned about. I will tell you, when I, when I talk to voters, they are far more concerned about a number of issues, including some of the incredibly unhinged comments by Donald Trump on Friday. And we need to make sure that voters see this as a very stark difference between an experienced, compassionate leader with a proven track record who is a great president and someone who wants to unravel the global world order post-World War II, someone who wants to create encampments for immigrants uh, as he tries to execute mass deportations, and someone who wants to undo NATO. So, the, you know, I, I think while I, I understand the media is focused on this issue of age, I think American voters truly are are far more concerned if you dig deeper in conversation on, on other major issues. Let me just follow up on what you just said about former President Trump. One question that I have had is whether or not all of what you just said about him is baked in. People are not surprised by what he said about NATO, by what he has done at this point. I mean, they are very well aware of that. So. How do you run a campaign knowing that this is um, uh, not new to any voter in America? I think what's going to be really critical is that we remind the American people, believe him when he says it. So when he makes these outrageous claims that some politicians, I was very disappointed with Senator Marco Rubio, not surprised that he didn't push back on what Donald Trump was saying. But I, you know, I, I think we have to make sure that the American people know, believe him when he says it, and that we talk about the consequences to what he's saying. And you're, and you're right, Dana, the, the, there are people in, in the base, the MAGA base, True to Donald Trump's words, he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and he, they'd still but support him. it's not just him. the base. It's not just the base, but I will tell you, when you look at the exit polls in some, at, during some of the primaries, there were independents and other Republicans who said that they could not vote for Donald Trump if he is the nominee. You, you represent a border state, the state of Texas, and I was just in New York, which is very much not a border state, uh, on Long Island, where their uh, special election is going to be tomorrow. And I was really struck by talking to voter after voter after voter, open-ended question, what matters the most? Almost to a person, immigration and the border. Um, how important is it for the president to continue to reframe that issue and as a progressive, how concerned are you that it's like 
sort of whack-a-mole that you reframe it and sound more conservative, but then you alienate the uh, progressives who might think you're going too hard. Yeah, this is, this is uh, I think, the most challenging domestic issue that we face as a country. We're seeing the results of a Western hemispheric refugee crisis unfolding before our eyes. It's not just impacting the United States, it's impacting countries to our South. And at every turn, as President Biden has tried to institute a new policy or a new plan, he gets criticized from all sides, and then he gets sued by states like my own as they seek to prevent the president from successfully addressing this challenge. And then you look at Congress, I will tell you, everything happening on the border, all roads lead to Congress, to our failure to adequately fund uh, the president's budget and his supplemental request, our inability to legislate on this issue. It, it is tough. And what, what uh, Greg Abbott has done is he's made it a local issue for New York, for he's Chicago. He's been very politically successful. For yes, for Denver. He ha he's been politically successful, but when you look at the billions, the tens of billions of dollars that Texas has spent, he's proven that even he can't control what's happening on the border. Uh, so I think the president has demonstrated he wanted Congress to act, and it was the Republican Party that chose the issue over a solution. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you come back. Appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Up next, who wants to be vice president? The Republican beep stakes. It's all playing out on Capitol Hill with a number of Republicans competing for Donald Trump's favor. New CNN reporting on this coming up. There's a quiet contest happening on Capitol Hill. Well, quiet-ish. And that question in that contest is who can do the most to win Donald Trump's favor and with it perhaps win a slot on his ticket. CNN's Annie Greer and Melanie Zanona have new reporting about the lawmakers vying for the likely GOP nominee's attention. Annie is here. Hi, Annie. So there's one senator, one congresswoman in particular, who seemed quite interested in the job. That's right, Dana. While the Republican primary for president is still underway, some of Donald Trump's biggest allies on Capitol Hill are already vying to be considered to be Trump's VP. And that's Republican Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, who's the number three Republican in the House, and Republican Senator J.D. Vance. And what we're seeing that part of this campaign has been about trying to rewrite the narrative about January 6th and embrace some of Donald Trump's biggest false claims about that day. They both have signed on to a resolution that would essentially absolve Donald Trump of any wrongdoing on January 6th. And more recently, they both said that if they were vice president on that day, they would not have certified the election like Mike Pence did. Take a listen to what they had to say. If I had been vice president, I would have told the states like Pennsylvania, Georgia, and so many others that we needed to have multiple slates of electors, and I think the U.S. Congress should have fought over it from there. I would not have done what Mike Pence did. I don't think that was the right approach. I think it's very important that we continue to stand up for the Constitution and have legal and secure elections, which we did not have in 2020. Now, the motivations behind those comments are obvious to even some of their own Republican colleagues. One Republican lawmaker that Melanie and I spoke to on the condition of anonymity said, quote, they just can't kiss his butt enough, end quote. Quote, it's obvious. 
But, Dana, for Trump's part, we're told that no serious conversations have started about who would be his running mate. And sources say he's just enjoying throwing names out there and watching his allies on Capitol Hill. He certainly seems to be enjoying it. And uh, those sound bites really are quite telling. Dan Crenshaw was on uh, on Friday saying point blank, this is a Republican, that that is not, in fact, what the Constitution says. So uh, I know you, you, you understand that as well. And thank you so much for that great reporting from you and Melanie Annie. Good to see you. Thank you so much for watching Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.